Hello and good morning to everybody. You're very welcome to today's webinar, uh, which is part of the HCI webinar series. My name is Una Gilbari and I'm the CTO of Healthcare Informed. And today we're going to be looking at some of the systematic findings from the independent review of the Tees, East and Ware Valleys NHS Foundation Trust. And as it related and as it was investigated um, in relation to the deaths of three teenage girls uh, that were within the service um, over a period of time. Just before we get into the content, uh, just a short background on HCI for those of you who may not have worked with us previously. We help providers of health and social care make intelligence driven decisions to attain, manage and improve quality, safety and regulatory compliance. We're over 17 years in business now and we have offices both in Galway and in Dublin and we've a pretty broad spectrum um, of client base um, from residential care into acute care mental health services and laboratories to that uh, end. So what we'll first of all, I suppose, looking at is why are we here and why are we discussing um, this particular independent investigation this morning? Well, I suppose uh, the NHS and the struggles within the NHS mental health service um, have been well documented over a, a, a large the last number of years. But even if we don't go back too far, if we just look at in 2018, the Parliamentary and Health Service Ombudsman completed a report at that time where they completed an analysis of 200 complaints that had arisen from uh, that are related to mental health services. And across the board of those 200 complaints, they identified five common failings. First was in relation to failure to diagnose or treat the patient, and the second in relation to inappropriate hospital discharge and aftercare of the patient. But the next three are, I suppose, are particularly of interest to us today in, in relation to the content that we're going to look at. Um, the first being the poor risk assessment and safety practices, not treating patients with dignity or infringing on their human rights, and poor communication with the patient and or their family and carers. So they saw those as the five core issues uh, that were arising within the mental health services or, or certainly within the 200 complaints that they reviewed. So if we move forward a little bit more, I suppose, subsequent to that, these headlines kept coming. Um, in relation to significant issues that uh, were being identified within the health service. Um, and many of these were based on serious incidents that arose and either were not responded to appropriately or certainly weren't being learned from to improve the quality and safety of care um, as it was being applied. And I suppose these, all of these headlines form the backdrop for what we're going to be discussing specifically today, and that being that independent review of the systemic failures at the Tees East and Ware Valleys Trust, and, and how those systemic failures directly impacted or related to the deaths of three teenage girls within the services. A short background, just in relation to the trust itself, um, it has a very broad geographical catchment area covering um, uh, County Durham, Darling, Teesside, North Yorkshire, York and Shelby. But if we look at just back in June 2018, again, not that long ago, the CQC, the, the regulatory authority in the UK, inspected the service. And at that stage, they rated it as being good overall. But if we look at the timeline, and we're going to utilise this throughout the, the presentation today, we can see that there were significant failings or cracks beginning to show within the service. Um, so in January 2019, 36 staff were suspended throughout the, 
the trust for the use of non-approved restraint techniques. So there were certainly problems very much coming to the surface at that stage in January of 2019. But just five months after that, on the 29th of June, Chrissy Hartnett at age 17 took her own life at the Westlane Hospital within the trust. And just a, a short six weeks later, um, Nadia Sharif, again age 17, on the 9th of August, took her own life in the same hospital in Westlane. Six months subsequently to that and shortly after being transferred out of the Westlane Hospital, Emily Moore at age 18 on the 15th of February ended her life at the Lanchester Road Hospital. And arising from these three deaths on November uh, 2022, the independent investigation report into their deaths was released and in total 120 uh, failings in care were identified throughout the three cases. So we're going to look specifically, I suppose, in relation to each of those uh, cases and, and, and what I'm trying to identify some of the systemic failings and issues that arose throughout those three. And the aim of the investigation as, uh, as completed by the niche consultancy uh, related to uh, what, what they were trying to achieve was to identify the common risks and opportunities to improve patient safety and make recommendations about organizational and system learning. So this wasn't about clinical competency reviews or, or which on any, any degree. This was really about trying to organ, understand uh, the systemic issues that were there and could be learned from. Now, what I would say from the outset is in these three cases, these are all in all cases, they were clinical, cl clinically complex cases. And it would be remiss of me to think that we could address all of these or, or, or have a full understanding or background of these cases within the short period of time that we have. So we're not going to try and do that, certainly not from a clinical perspective. This is all about looking at those system failings within the organizations and taking those learnings identified from them. OK, so the first that we're going to look at is the case of Chrissy Hartnett. Now, Chrissy initiated her care within the trust at just aged 10. That was back in June 2012. But there were significant issues and, and, and back and forth between uh, the, the service providers and with uh, Chrissy's family and a number of, of communications were back and forth. But in July 2018, a complaint was raised by Chrissy's grandmother regarding a personal search of Chrissy during which her clothes were cut off and a male staff member was present at the time. And this was a known trigger for Chrissy at the time. So it was certainly uh, the basis of that complaint. But just a few short months later in March 2019, Chrissy self-ligatured using fixtures in her bathroom and Chrissy was treated in hospital, uh, survived and returned to the service. But post that attempt at self-harm in 2019, Chrissy's stepfather continually raised a number of concerns about the ongoing ligature risks within the hospital, but no response was taken by the service. In June 2000, uh, the 23rd of June, Chrissy self-ligatured in the bathroom and unfortunately four days later she dies from hypoxic brain injury. So the, invest or the, the independent investigators at this stage then took a broader look at the care and service delivery problems um, uh, in, in relation to, to Chrissy and they found some significant failings across the board. So I've grouped these in and we can just uh, and then we will do a comparison of those in relation to the to the other cases that we're going to look at. But specifically in relation to care planning, she found they found that there was a, a that there was a mixture of this first and third person and there was strong evidence of a copy and paste approach. And it was certainly not easy to find the most recent 
plan of care that was in place at the time of Chrissy's death. There was no information provided through within any of the care plans regarding Chrissy's potential triggers, which were well communicated and uh, by the family and well known within the service. They did not provide any consideration of how male staff involved in restraint would provoke a more aggressive response by Chrissy and how to mitigate um, the element of this risk. They also did not describe any plans uh, to manage uh, the risk of self-ligature or cutting, which again, uh, based on that incident in March, was certainly a very high risk indeed. On a review of her medication management, they found that there was the, the, there was no systematic monitoring of the medication efficacy that was being uh, provided, even though there was uh, there was a deterioration in Christie's presentation. Um, there were no changes made to 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 the medication that were was being provided Christie at that time. From a risk management perspective, Christie's increasing risk and changing presentation certainly they felt it wasn't being fully recognized or acted upon, and that there was a consistent failure to implement those urgent, low-level ligature risk mitigation work uh, in a timely manner, and that those actions were certainly not informed by Chrissy's previous serious self-ligature attempt. They found that there was an absence of sufficiently skilled staff to manage the risk um, and, and the presentation by Christy. In relation to incident management, again, that self-harm incident in March, they felt was not adequately investigated, and it led to no changes uh, to, to the risks posed by the bathroom fixtures at that time. As I said, there was an ongoing uh, communications or, or certainly one-way communications uh, from Chrissy's family. And, but that complaint that was raised back in July in relation to, to the search in 2018, um, the response was to that complaint was made 18 months after receiving the complaint and seven months after Chrissy's death. And they found that, that, that there was a failure to respond generally across the board uh, by concerns that were raised not only by, patient, by the patient and, and the family, but also by members of staff in relation to their inability to manage um, the risks posed um, throughout from December through to January. And the observations that were in place for Christie, they found that they weren't adequately or robustly recorded and the documentation of observation and engagement levels was not clear. In relation to resource, scenario-based training and resource or post-resource debriefs were not provided due to staff shortages. And in general, for record management, those clinical records were not completed consistently in time or date order or entered by the individuals, um, uh, applicable individuals in that case. And that there was not always a record in the clinical notes of the staff involved in the restraint and their role, role, roles in that case. So we'll move on now to, uh, if we look at our timeline, so Chrissy's death in, on the 29th of June, six weeks later within the same facility with the death at, on the 9th of August of Nadia Sharif, also age 17. And a short background in relation to her care, she came within the trust in 2012 and in 2016 she received a diagnosis, an ASD diagnosis. In October 2018, Nadia was, was one of the individuals that was identified in that review of the CCT footage of being restrained inappropriately on two occasions. She was observed as being dragged down the corridor backwards with staff holding her under their arms. So those 36 individuals uh, on our timeline there where we saw were suspended, Nadia was directly uh, identified in that CCTV footage um, as being inappropriately restrained. 
One of the interesting elements that they brought up was that in February 2019, uh, Nadia's increased uh, self-harm uh, she had increasing self-harm uh, behaviours and a new protocol had been developed at that stage in relation to the reduction of harm associated with suicidal behaviour and that was then applied in February um, to Nadia's care and that will be something that, that the investigation will look at a little later on. But on the 5th of August 2019 at 8am, she was observed in her bed at 8.30. Staff nurse entered. There was no response for, uh, when calling Nadia. She was then found sitting under her desk and was unresponsive. At 8.42, the ambulance was called. On arrival, the staff were told that Nadia was on 15-minute observations. And on the 9th of August, test for brainstem death completed and Nadia died at that stage. So again, when the investigators reviewed the care and service that was uh, provided to Nadia, they had some significant concerns. And in relation to that protocol that I mentioned, the reduction of harm protocol, they found that the language that was used in that protocol was very much open to misinterpretation and that it would require really skilled interpretation by consistent and experienced staff for it to be effective. Uh, and they found that these staff were just not consistently available during Nadia's admission in 2019. From a care planning perspective, they found that there was a lack of autism informed care, which would have directly impacted or should have directly impacted on the care that was being provided to Nadia. Issues also included that seclusion was included in a therapeutic care plan and that care plans detailed that Nadia had to earn access to her own clothes. And again, that that language that was it was being written in uh, was language that was highly unlikely to be used by a teenager, although it was written in the first person. And there was no evidence that Nadia or her family had been involved in any way in their development. From a risk management perspective, they found there was a failure to identify those increasing risks of Nadia as the as her individual needs and her changing presentation was not being recognized. And that there was a general organizational failure to mitigate those um, environmental risks of self-ligature. And there was no policy which guided staff practice in managing or removing ligatures. In relation to those observations, we saw that there was a, a, a um, a lack of continuity in relation to our timeline. 15 minute observations were supposed to be in place for Nadia. However, on the morning of the final attempt on her life, there, there was a 30 minute gap in observation and there was no record um, of any change to that decision or no justification to reduce that observation level. In relation to that episode of restraint, or the two episodes that were identified on the CCTV footage relating to restraint, there was no reference to this within clinic, uh, Nadia's clinical records at all. There was no communication with Nadia or with her family that she was involved um, uh, or that she had been identified as being involved in, in, in inappropriate restraint. So that was certainly identified by the investigators. And in general for restraint, they found there was a lack of training in de-escalation. And again, lack of identification of those triggers that were very specific in Nadia's case. Clinical records were not completed consistently, again, in time or date order or entered by each individual staff member. So we can see there's a consistency in the findings um, that were arising in each case. It's important to note that after Chrissy's death uh, through to the end of August, 
the CQC, again, that, that regulatory authority in the UK, they completed four on-site inspections of the service at that time, and they did rate them as uh, rated as being inadequate. Um, and following the death of Nadia on the 9th of August, but, but at, by the end of August and on their final investigation at that end of August, they actually closed the, uh, the West Lane Hospital um, at that stage. I just wanted to have a quick look in relation to what the CQC were seeing at that stage uh, and from their perspective, what were they identifying as the failings within the service at that time? And unsurprisingly, they focused on the governance element of it. And, and they identified that while there was a newly formed leadership team following the death of Chrissy, there was a new leadership team put in place uh, that had recorded actions that needed to take place to address issues. Staff communicated that they, they felt that there was no collaboration uh, with the leaders and that management were really just not visible on the wards. Staff were really open to the CQC about their concerns, uh, but they detailed that they would be very uncomfortable raising these concerns internally as they feared reprisals if they challenged the model of care. Generally, they found the CQC found that there was insufficient staff supporting really very complex needs of young people, and they just didn't have the skills and competence to be able to meet those needs, and that the staffing levels were not accurately reflected. What was on the roster and what was actually uh, provided for frontline staff was not, um, not comparable. Inspectors found really high numbers of interchanging agency staff. And again, these are obviously not going to be familiar with the needs of the young people that they were supporting. But in general, the staff just didn't feel supported or valued and morale was really very low. There was that divide that we've seen in many cases uh, when we've investigated serious incidents, the divide between staff and the management team. And there was there could rarely be found an agreement regarding the treatment plans uh, that were being provided for these people. Across the board, as from an organizational risk management perspective, the inspection found the risk to patients was just not adequately assessed, monitored or managed, and that when patients demonstrated higher levels of risk, the staff just didn't know the process or procedures uh, to mitigate these through observation and engagement. They were not applied. The inspectors reviewed the incidents that were logged in the West Lane Hospital, and they noted that several episodes of patients self-harming involved ligatures, but these risks, again, were not well assessed, and they remained in place and were present and continued to pose a serious risk throughout the series of, of uh, on-site inspections. So... Another element on our timeline, I suppose, so following the deaths of Christie and, and Nadia in October 2019, the NHS England ordered an independent investigation to be completed. But just six months after the passing of Nadia on the 15th of February, Emily Moore at age 18 ended her life at the Lanchester Road Hospital, having just been transferred uh, quite recently out of the West Lane Hospital. Following her death, the scope of the invest independent investigation was extended to include Emily. Okay, so just to look um, at the findings from the in independent investigation in relation to the care and treatment of Emily. Emily came under the care of the trust uh, back in 2017. And between April and July 2019, Emily's father raised a number of concerns regarding multiple self-harm incidents despite Emily being on increased observations. Emily also complained that, that staff swore and shouted at her when she self-harmed. In July 2019, then, Emily was transferred into adult services uh, into Lanchester Road Hospital, having previously been in West Lane. And on February 13th, Emily's father rang the hospital with concerns regarding his daughter's state of mind. Unfortunately, on that same day, Emily self-harmed and using a ligature 
while an inpatient in the hospital died just two days later. When we reviewed the, uh, or when the, the independent investigation reviewed the care and service uh, that was provided to Emily, as was the case with Nadia, she, they found that that trust protocol for the reduction of harm associated, associated with suicidal behaviour, that was also applied in Emily's care. And again, it found that the language was very much open to misinterpretation and required that skilled interpretation by staff that were just not available when uh, during Emily's admission. Her care plans, again, were found to be fragmented, incomplete and inconsistent with evidence-based interventions. With risk management, the clinical team did not have a risk management plan in place from, for, enemy, uh, for Emily from May 2019, which was eight months prior to her death, and that there was a general failure to address, again, those low-level ligature risks that were identified in the ensuite bathrooms. In relation to concerns and complaints, there was little evidence of Emily's father's concerns being considered in accordance with the services policies and procedures. And there was a general over-reliance on the internal complaint management process rather than looking externally to get that independent review uh, brought into the service to, give, to, to bring a fresh pair of eyes and, and, and uh, a different perspective and, and perhaps a, a more detailed drilling down into the incidents that were arising. Um, as detailed, Emily had complained in relation to staff's behaviour, um, but no safeguarding referral was ever made following that complaint by the service. In relation to her observations, they found that the care plans uh, did not really specify whether the staff member should enter the room or not based on the parents, uh, the, the person's presentation. And in relation to the clinical records, in some cases they were not fully completed, did not identify the staff involved or were not signed and dated as required. So there, uh, the niche, uh, the independent reviewers, they looked at those individual cases, but then they also looked at the overall governance issues. And, and this was only released this month where they did, uh, they completed the, the governance section of the report. So in general, what did they find from a governance perspective? Well, they found ineffective escalation mechanisms and fundamental weaknesses in the organizational governance, which resulted in a failure of corporate oversight and the quality and safety of service provided. They found the function of senior teams in relation to op uh, operational involvement lacked any clarity and that the reporting structures were disconnected between the various teams tiers of governance, which prevented a drill down for effective oversight and learning. So what does all of that mean? It really means that there was no information coming from the bottom up and there was no information coming from the top down. And there was a significant disconnect um, between uh, between each of those tiers and levels, uh, which which um, which meant that the, the 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 key the KPIs, the key process indicators, the indicators that should have been reflective of significant problems arising um, on the front line were not communicated through to the to the management team or certainly weren't being responded to um, by the management team that were in place at that time. And certainly the leadership and, and uh, the culture of quality and safety was not being implemented from the top down to drive um, improvements in the quality and safety of care being provided. They found that action plans that were there, although action plans were being identified, they weren't connected to any improvement programs or risk registers. So although, you know, they identified, oh, yeah, such an action has to be implemented, there was no ongoing review um, or monitoring of those actions being implemented by senior management. 
they found there were significant issues identified in relation to the duty of candor at the trust and really across the board in relation to their engagement with uh, with patients and with their families. There were significant problems in that regard. And it was all, again, relating to that, trying to contain the problems, uh, uh, make them as minor as possible and communicate them to as few people as possible, uh, showing a, a real lack of transparency throughout. And they found that there was a gap between the development and the successful implementation of important care initiatives. So although there was time and effort being spent on developing new action plans or new, new processes to be implemented, they just were never implemented and it was not making any impact to the quality and safety of care being provided. So that brings us through to the last of the timelines, which we've, we've spent some time discussing today in relation to that investigation report being released in November and those 120 failings in care being identified throughout. Just wanted to look at some of the key recommendations from the investigation. None of this is earth shattering or surprising in any way, shape or form. Uh, from a governance perspective, they... Um, they, uh, they they recommended the full review a full review of the organizational structure and decision making processes including the roles and responsibilities of teams in the operational involvement of the services they talked about effective reporting arrangements required to support proper board assurance and they communicated that they they would require this to include a mechanism to identify that when a department is experiencing stress, such as failing to complete training, debriefs, sickness levels being very high, low staff morale, that this should be viewed alongside those patterns of incidents, harms and complaints. So looking at you know, where we have these indicators of that there may be problems, that we're looking at the outputs and seeing is it reflective of, of the two so that we're not reviewing information in isolation we're looking at the information holistically um, that's been fed uh, fed out by the service they look they requested that the duty of candor policy be more effectively implemented and that where there is a death in the service the families are given appropriate meaningful timely and compassionate support in relation to incident management, they recommended that greater detail and understanding of the patterns and instances of harm uh, were, were taken and that there was regular reporting and an interrogation of that data, not, not only to inform individual client cases, but also the broader spectrum of the organization and understanding of the quality and safety issues that were, were being reflected. And it requested that incidents must reflect robust clinical governance, and that must be reflective of the NHS serious incident framework, including the use of external review where appropriate, that it's not about containment, um, it's, it's about transparency and opening it up and where required, where there are significant concerns, uh, complaints or incidents that we bring in into external services um, to really um, to provide that, that fresh pair of eyes um, and to bring that other perspective with, with full objectivity in relation to the review. From a risk management perspective, they recommend the implementation of, of an effective very basic a system for the identification, mitigation and actioning of known risks at ward, service and corporate level. I mean, in most cases, all of these risks were known. They just were not acted upon. And they looked for an imp to, to implement a robust environmental and ligature risk assessment process um, that would 
urgently mitigate uh, the risks identified through that process. They wanted to ensure that any person who had a recent history of self-ligature had a written care plan specific to how the, the staff would care for this person and mitigate the risks of fatal self-ligature. And that if where risk assessments were required, that they were developed by a multidisciplinary team and always in conjunction with the person or their family. In relation to complaint management, the service must respond formally to concerns raised um, uh, about the care and treatment of a person and explore those concerns with the family or with those person and that they would improve the response to complaints so that they're managed in line with best practice. Just briefly in relation to care plans, obviously, again, there's nothing surprising here. Um, they're looking for care plans to incorporate evidence-based best practice. They want them written so they're clear, patient-centred, easy to understand and follow. That the management of those restrictive interventions must be part of an agreed uh, philosophy and approach with clear protocols that are embedded to guide practice. And where there is a risk of re-traumatising people in restraint, that those triggers for trauma are recognised and there are written plans of care in place to manage that risk. So what has happened since in relation to the uh, aftermath of the independent investigation? Well, in January 2023, ministers announced an, a nationwide rapid review into the safety and mental health services, which is ongoing currently. In February, uh, the CQC confirmed that the trust will be prosecuted in relation to these cases. And on May 2023, the first hearing is scheduled at Teesside Magistrates Court. Just to finish with two quotes from a CQC perspective, the Tees ISC and Ware Valley Trust failings were multifaceted and systemic. They failed to provide safe care and treatment which exposed the patients to significant risk of avoidable harm. So on the basis of all of this, how can HCI help? Well, there are, it's multifaceted, I suppose. First of all, we can certainly support in the development of the quality and safety management system that you have within your service. Um, and it can uh, develop co uh, comprehensive models for a lot of the things that we talked about today in relation to governance structures, risk management, incident management, education and training, and that quality information systems. And also, as we talked about those external reviews, that can be very, um, uh, very important, uh, an important element to have within your quality and safety care model, HCI can complete a serious incident review or serious complaint review in accordance with the HSE incident management framework and the national standards for the conduct of reviews of patient safety incidents. And certainly that is uh, work that we have had ongoing for a number of service providers, um, which has, has led to comprehensive serious incident review reports that can then drive uh, improvements on the quality and safety of care that are being provided. Hopefully, as I said, you got some value from today. It makes for difficult reading in relation to the independent report. Um, as I say, with in relation to the recommendations, there's nothing earth shattering there. We've seen it all before in relation to um, the actions that were required to address it. Um, but it really, uh, I suppose, drives home those systemic uh, issues that can be addressed in relation to putting implementing a robust governance model um, and an effective model of care um, uh, and quality management system to be able to support that and supporting the the um, to ensure that the outputs that are arising out of our services are effectively monitored and analyzed and utilized to feedback um, to, to drive those continuous improvements throughout our organizations and services. 
So with that, if there's uh, nothing else. There's one question there oh, actually yeah. just coming in now um, from Jerry. So do you know if there was a consistent director of nursing in post or where there are a number of or were there a number of actors? The period of time, I suppose what I should have said in relation to that, the period of time across the review, the review itself um, actually took 18 months to complete. So it was a really significant period of time now it was completed over COVID. But if we look back over that timeline in, in relation to it, it, it doesn't detail within the report the uh, the specifically it doesn't say in relation to the changes of of uh, directors of care but what I would say is that certainly after the, the the first death of Chrissy there was an overhaul there was a new management team put into place whether it what specific roles they were I don't really know um, um, so it's certainly uh, there was an ongoing state of flux um uh, but the specifics of the roles were not detailed within it, so I can't I can't provide you any with any more information. But looking back, and we've done a number of these types of webinars where we look at serious incident investigations or independent investigations, um, and generally it comes with that disconnect between staff and management. In many cases, it's because there is a continual rotation of senior management people, and then there's a lack of engagement by senior management in the process because it really is such a rotational role they're just there for a very short period of time so we don't have specifics on it but my strong inclination would be there was there was a, a revolving door of senior management uh, within the services that um, yeah and just one more question then was there an outside regulator for the service and if so uh, was the service meeting the standards required do you know so, yeah, so that was the CQC that we talked about just at the very start. So back in 2018, they reviewed the services and they said that it was meeting the requirements. They were good overall is the, the reference that they utilize it. And it really wasn't until the death of Chrissy that they really interacted again. And then we had that short period of those four investigations uh, between Chrissy's death and, and the end of August, um, which were, were compact. And each of those four um uh, monitoring inspections, monitoring uh, reviews, it detailed it as, as being inadequate at that stage, but really the wheels had fallen off the wagon at that stage. What is surprising, I suppose, is that, uh, you know, giving a, an, an adequate rating in 2018, late, mid 2018, where and then in January 2019, 36 people being suspended due to inappropriate use of restraint, it doesn't marry up. There was obviously significant problems there um, that were just not being identified by CQC. And I, I do think when, I mean, uh, in relation to the, the the reading that I've done about the, 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 the case, uh, there has been kickback um, in relation to CQC and the quality of inspection that was being implemented by them. Um, and a lot of questions being raised because in many cases where you had these uh, families that were raising concerns um, about the quality and safety of care, they didn't just raise them with um, the service, they were also communicating them to the regulatory body and they felt that they weren't getting um, the response that they required. So um, certainly uh, from a political perspective, CQC are, are, are under the microscope um, in relation to this, uh, how how could it have gotten so bad so quick? If you said that they were they were uh, you know meeting the requirements in mid two thousand and eighteen, so I think I think there are questions to be asked there also. Okay, 
I hope that's of assistance. I hope that's of help. Um, as I said, uh, Rosemary will be circulating slides to attendees and then communication of or the recordings will be available on our social media website. So please feel free to send them on to anyone you feel might um might uh, benefit from the information provided. So thank you very much for taking the time. I know it's difficult to find time for all of these things. We're, we're very thankful that you provided, that you were able to attend this morning. And hopefully we'll link in again soon with another one of our webinar series. Thank you.